break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 8th of April 2022. Happy to be back with you to close out the week, and we've got plenty for you here on the show, as we always do today. We are going to be breaking down, you might say debunking, the hysteria around quote-unquote rising crime in the United States and the accompanying calls for more and more cops. One major theme of political discourse this year, one certain to become larger and larger as we get nearer and nearer to the midterm elections, is quote-unquote crime. Republicans and Democrats alike are dueling to be perceived as, quote, tough on crime, which is allegedly, quote, surging. The president has proposed over $30 billion in funding for law enforcement in his latest budget and a reflection of where we are. Republican senators turned the recent Supreme Court nomination hearings into a theater of the absurd about quote-unquote soft-on-crime judges. Democratic mayors in Washington, D.C., New York, San Francisco, and Chicago are pushing plans for more cops and more law and order policies. They're joined in by the governor of New York, who's looking to put more people in jail, and the governor of Arizona is rushing to execute a senior citizen in the gas chamber. There are really two separate questions at play here. One being whether or not there is a huge uptick in crime that should result in more of the same policies that brought us mass incarceration and militarized policing. And second, if those policies would even work if they were such a crime surge. We want to examine both, but we should say at the outset that our belief is that no, it is not true that we are in some sort of crime wave, nor is it true that the methods being proposed to tackle it are really effective. But let's get to some of the facts. Between 1992 and 2020, broadly defined, quote-unquote, violent crime decreased 47.4%. We don't have comprehensive statistics on this yet, but extrapolating from an analysis of 25 cities that found that gun assaults were up 8%, the highest of the categories measured, we can extrapolate out a bit about 2021. Assuming the overall violent crime rate went up 8% overall, which it probably did not, the overall rate of violent crime last year would still be 42% below where it was in 1992, 32% below where it was in 1996, and 14% below where it was in the year 2000. It would be on par with the number of violent crimes per 100,000 people in 2009, which again, to stress, is 42% below where that rate was in 1992. A similar trend in broadly defined property crime is also clear. Between 1992 and 2020, property crime went down 60%. We don't really have a great estimate for property crime rates overall in 2021, but even if property crimes increased 22% from 2020 to 2021, which is far above what any evidence suggests, the rate of property crimes per 100,000 people would still be 51% lower than it was in 1992, 44% below 1996 levels, and 33% below where it was in the year 2000. So clearly we are not in some sort of all-consuming crime wave. 
So what exactly is going on? Well, some of it, of course, is just outright lying by the police and their supporters. A lot of it's also the manipulation of statistics and also taking the differences between various cities and homicide rates out of context. One major issue is how percentages and numbers can appear in our mind. Significant percentage increases can often mask that the raw number increase is fairly low. The reverse can also be true. Either way, it has a big impact on how we view crime stats. One example is in San Francisco's Tenderloin District. The Tenderloin has become the epicenter of a conversation in San Francisco about allegedly out-of-control crime. Between 2020 and 2021, there was a 10% increase in murders and a 27% increase in rapes in the Tenderloin, according to police statistics. Of course, this is not good at all. But it's worth noting that the number of murders increased from 10 to 11 and rapes from 22 to 28. Sounds a lot different than when you put it in percentages, right? You can say the same thing about homicides in San Francisco overall, which rose 36%, an increase of 15 people. Of course, still horrible and tragic. One murder is too many. But again, you can see how the percentages put the increase in a very different light. It's also worth noting that between 2020 and 2021, based on statistics reported by the public defender Peter Calloway, rape, robbery, and assault decreased by 47%, 27%, and 6% respectively in San Francisco, meaning that violent crime, which SFPD categorizes as homicide, rape, robbery, and assault considered collectively, decreased by 19%. Property crime down 11%. Increases in homicides tend to lead the news, and indeed homicides are up in a general sense all around the country. In 2020, they increased 30% from where they were in 2019. However, Nationally, between 1992 and 2021, homicides dropped 25.8%. However, in some cities, homicides have increased significantly in the past couple years. Philadelphia, for instance, had the most homicides since 1990 and Austin since 1984 in 2021. These outliers, of course, to the extent they are reported on, are still the type of thing that can drive perceptions as media outlets highlight some of the most egregious increases in order to spotlight what they view as a bigger problem. But the fact remains... Homicides in the U.S. are still very far below the highs of the 80s and 90s. New York City, where the issue of rising homicides has become a national story, is an example of this. Murders are down 78.4% from 1991, 24.8% since 2001. There were 1,442 more murders in New York in 1993 than in 2021. So again, the fear-mongering does not really match the statistics. A critic might say that from 2019 to 2021, there was a 52% rise in homicides in New York. But again, point still stands. That's still about a quarter fewer murders than 2001 and nearly 80% in relationship to 1991. Not exactly a sign of the apocalypse. But as we mentioned before, we can't make light of these issues because whatever the increases or decreases, there's still far too much harm going on for anyone to feel comfortable which is why it's important to note the prescriptions that are being put forward from the political class, more law and order policies, and the rolling back of the limited reforms we have seen to the criminal legal system over the past few years, don't have much of a track record to recommend them. The main proposal we're seeing all across the country and at the federal level is to increase the number of police officers and their resources. There are a few ways to look at this. One is to examine how the police are doing with the huge amount of resources they have already. Now, the primary metric for this is the quote-unquote clearance rate. That more or less measures the number of reported crimes that someone is arrested for. Arrested, not convicted, though. So it's an imperfect statistic, but a telling one because it actually overstates police quote-unquote effectiveness. In 2020, the police in the United States cleared 50% of murders, 
30% of rapes, 47% of robberies, 27% of assaults, 14% of burglaries, 12% of car thefts, and 21% of arsons. So, all in all, not exactly a stellar record. Now one might say, well, isn't this a sign we need more cops? Well, not exactly. Even a study that was quite optimistic, in fact, that more police officers can decrease crime, noted that, by their own estimates, increased police officers seem to correlate with less crime in only 54% of instances historically. So in other words, whether or not more cops will actually decrease crime is basically a coin flip. The New York Times noted about a debate last year in terms of increasing more police officers in Austin, Texas, that, quote, cities with far more police officers per capita, including Atlanta, Chicago, and Milwaukee, had experienced greater increases in their homicide rates. And cities with fewer officers per capita, including Raleigh, North Carolina, and El Paso, had seen homicides decline, end quote. Recently in Washington, D.C., Mayor Muriel Bowser claimed crime was lower when the district had more police officers between 2009 and 2014, part of her push to add a significant number of cops to the force. The actual statistics, however, showed that to be false, with crime continuing to decline from 2009 as the number of officers did. And one analysis of homicides noted that from 2009, quote, homicides fluctuate without any correlation to police staffing levels, end quote. The obvious implication here is that the number of police officers is, in fact, not the key variable in terms of whether crime is decreasing or increasing. That's something that's underscored when one notes that, quote-unquote, violence interruption programs, one of the principal non-police community-centered ways of addressing violence, have impressive success rates in one to three years' time without cops, guns, courts, or prisons. Examples like 63% reductions in shootings and 37% reductions in gun injuries in one neighborhood in the South Bronx a 50% reduction in gun injuries in East New York, and a 56% reduction in killings and 34% reduction in shootings in one community in Baltimore, not to mention a 41 to 73% reduction in shootings in a number of Chicago neighborhoods. And again, this is all in just one to three years' time without the cops, the handcuffs, the courts, the prosecutors, or the prisons. All in all, you can see that there is a major propaganda war on. First, to convince you crime is far worse than it actually is. And two, to promote solutions that actually do not seem all that likely to solve any of the problems they are supposed to be addressing. So what is this really all about? Well, it's about the results of the mass wave of resistance to racist policing and mass incarceration that's kicked off since Ferguson in 2015. Clearly, it has had an effect in changing the conversation and many minds around law and order policies and methods. Policing and mass incarceration are products of an attempt to contain the social consequences of disinvestment in many working-class communities. Moving away from policing and prisons means spending more on social and economic remedies, which means higher taxes for the wealthy at the end of the day, something that we can see they are totally unwilling to do. So instead, their paid-for political friends are running a game of smoke and mirrors to make sure they aren't asked to contribute anything else to society. And if it means spending more of what limited money there is on building up a bigger army of cops, despite that being unlikely to really improve public safety, then so be it. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. 
And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. Yeah. Oh.